0: Green Top Guideline Number 26, Assisted Vaginal Birth. Guideline first published in October 2000 under the title Instrumental Vaginal Delivery, and revised in January 2011 and October 2005 under the title Operative Vaginal Delivery, by Deidre J Murphy, Brian E K Strachan, and Rachna Nabal on behalf of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. Executive Summary. Preparation for Assisted Vaginal Birth. Can assisted vaginal birth be avoided? Encourage women to have continuous support during labour, as this can reduce the need for assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation? A. Inform women that epidural analgesia may increase the need for assisted vaginal birth, although this is less likely with newer analgesic techniques. New 2020. Grade of recommendation? A. Inform women that administering epidural analgesia in the latent phase of labour, compared to the active phase of labour, does not increase the risk of assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. Encourage women not using epidural analgesia to adopt upright or lateral positions in the second stage of labour as this reduces the need for assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, A. Encourage women using epidural analgesia to adopt lying down lateral positions rather than upright positions in the second stage of labor as this increases the rate of spontaneous vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommend delayed pushing for one to two hours in nulliparous women with epidural analgesia as this may reduce the need for rotational and mid-pelvic assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, B. Do not routinely discontinue epidural analgesia during pushing, as this increases the woman's pain with no evidence of a reduction in the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. There is insufficient evidence to recommend any particular regional analgesia technique in terms of reducing the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. There is insufficient evidence to recommend routine oxytocin augmentation for women with epidural analgesia as a strategy to reduce the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. There is insufficient evidence to recommend routine prophylactic manual rotation of fetal malposition in the second stage of labour to reduce the risk of assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. How should assisted vaginal birth be defined? Use a standard classification system for assisted vaginal birth to promote safe clinical practice, effective communication between health professionals, and audit of outcomes. Grade of recommendation, D. When should assisted vaginal birth be recommended or contraindicated? Operators should be aware that no indication is absolute and that clinical judgment is required in all situations. Grade of recommendation, D. Suspected fetal bleeding disorders or a predisposition to fracture are relative contraindications to assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Bloodborne viral infections in the woman are not an absolute contraindication to assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. D. The use of a vacuum is not contraindicated following a fetal blood sampling procedure or application of a fetal scalp electrode. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. Operators should be aware that there is a higher risk of subgaleal haemorrhage and scalp trauma with vacuum extraction compared with forceps at preterm gestational ages. Vacuum birth should be avoided below 32 weeks of gestation and should be used with caution between 32 plus zero and 36 plus zero weeks of gestation. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, C. What are the essential conditions for safe assisted vaginal birth? Safe assisted vaginal birth requires a careful assessment of the clinical situation, clear communication with the woman and healthcare personnel, and expertise in the chosen procedure. Table 3. Grade of recommendation D. Does ultrasound have a role in assessment prior to assisted vaginal birth? Ultrasound assessment of the fetal head position prior to assisted vaginal birth is recommended where uncertainty exists following clinical examination. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. There is insufficient evidence to recommend the routine use of abdominal or perineal ultrasound for assessment of the station, flexion and descent of the fetal head in the second stage of labour. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, C. What type of consent is required prior to attempting assisted vaginal birth? Women should be informed about assisted vaginal birth in the antenatal period, especially during their first pregnancy. If they indicate specific restrictions or preferences, then this should be explored with an experienced obstetrician, ideally in advance of labour. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. For birth room procedures, verbal consent should be obtained prior to assisted vaginal birth, and the discussion should be documented in the notes. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. When mid-pelvic or rotational birth is indicated, the risks and benefits of assisted vaginal birth should be compared with the risks and benefits of second stage caesarean birth for the given circumstances and skills of the operator. Written consent should be obtained for a trial of assisted vaginal birth in an operating theatre. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Performing assisted vaginal birth. Who should perform assisted vaginal birth? Assisted vaginal birth should be performed by or in the presence of an operator who has the knowledge, skills and experience necessary to assess the woman, complete the procedure and manage any complications that arise. Grade of recommendation, D. Advise obstetric trainees to achieve expertise in spontaneous vaginal birth prior to commencing training in assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Ensure obstetric trainees receive appropriate training in vacuum and forceps birth, including theoretical knowledge, simulation training, and clinical training under direct supervision. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Competency should be demonstrated before conducting unsupervised births. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Complex assisted vaginal births should only be performed by experienced operators or under the direct supervision of an experienced operator. Grade of recommendation, D. Who should supervise assisted vaginal birth? An experienced operator competent at mid-pelvic births should be present from the outset to supervise all attempts at rotational or mid-pelvic assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, D. Where should Assisted Vaginal Birth take place? Non-rotational, low-pelvic and lift-out Assisted Vaginal Births have a low probability of failure and most procedures can be conducted safely in a birth room. New 2020. Grade of Recommendation, C. Assisted Vaginal Births that have a higher risk of failure should be considered a trial and be attempted in a place where immediate recourse to Caesarean birth can be undertaken. Grade of Recommendation, C. What instruments should be used for assisted vaginal birth? The operator should choose the instrument most appropriate to the clinical circumstances and their level of skill. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Operators should be aware that forceps and vacuum extraction are associated with different benefits and risks. Failure to complete the birth with a single instrument is more likely with vacuum extraction, but maternal perineal trauma is more likely with forceps. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. Operators should be aware that soft cup vacuum extractors have a higher rate of failure but a lower incidence of neonatal scalp trauma. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. Rotational births should be performed by experienced operators, the choice of instrument depending on the clinical circumstances and expertise of the individual. The options include keylands, rotational forceps, manual rotation followed by direct traction forceps, or vacuum and rotational vacuum extraction. Grade of recommendation, C. When should vacuum assisted birth be discontinued and how should a discontinued vacuum procedure be managed? Discontinue vacuum assisted birth where there is no evidence of progressive descent with moderate traction during each pull of a correctly applied instrument by an experienced operator. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Complete vacuum assisted birth in the majority of cases with a maximum of three pulls to bring the fetal head onto the perineum. Three additional gentle pulls can be used to ease the head out of the perineum. New 2020. Grade of recommendation Good practice point. If there is minimal descent with the first two pulls of a vacuum, the operator should consider whether the application is suboptimal, the fetal position has been incorrectly diagnosed, or there is cephalopelvic disproportion. Less experienced operators should stop and seek a second opinion. Experienced operators should reevaluate the clinical findings and either change approach or discontinue the procedure. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Discontinue vacuum assisted birth if there have been two pop-offs of the instrument. Less experienced operators should seek senior support after one pop-off to ensure the woman has had the best chance of a successful assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. The rapid negative pressure application for vacuum assisted birth is recommended as it reduces the duration of the procedure with no difference in maternal and neonatal outcomes. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. The use of sequential instruments is associated with an increased risk of trauma to the infant. However, the operator needs to balance the risk of a caesarean birth following failed vacuum extraction with the risks of forceps birth following failed vacuum extraction. Grade of recommendation, B. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased neonatal morbidity following failed vacuum-assisted birth and or sequential use of instruments and should inform the neonatologist when this occurs to ensure appropriate care of the baby. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased risk of obstetric anal sphincter injury, OAC, following sequential use of instruments. New 2020. Grade of recommendation C. When should attempted forceps birth be discontinued and how should a discontinued forceps procedure be managed? Discontinue attempted forceps birth where the forceps cannot be applied easily, the handles do not approximate easily, or if there is a lack of progressive descent with moderate traction. New 2020. Grade of recommendation B. Discontinue rotational forceps birth if rotation is not easily achieved with gentle pressure. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. Discontinue attempted forceps birth if birth is not imminent following three pulls of a correctly applied instrument by an experienced operator. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. If there is minimal descent with the first one or two pulls of the forceps, the operator should consider whether the application is suboptimal position has been incorrectly diagnosed or there is cephalopelvic disproportion. Less experienced operators should stop and seek a second opinion. Experienced operators should reevaluate the clinical findings and either change approach or discontinue the procedure. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Obstetricians should be aware of the potential neonatal morbidity following a failed attempt at forceps birth and should inform the neonatologist when this occurs to ensure appropriate management of the baby. New 2020, grade of recommendation, good practice point. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased risk of fetal head impaction at caesarean birth following a failed attempt at birth via forceps and should be prepared to disimpact the fetal head using recognized maneuvers. New 2020, grade of recommendation, good practice point. What is the role of episiotomy in preventing maternal pelvic floor morbidity at assisted vaginal birth? Mediolateral episiotomy should be discussed with the woman as part of the preparation for assisted vaginal birth, new 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. In the absence of robust evidence to support either routine or restrictive use of episiotomy at assisted vaginal birth, the decision should be tailored to the circumstances at the time and the preferences of the woman. The evidence to support use of mediolateral episiotomy at assisted vaginal birth in terms of preventing OAC is stronger for nulliparous women, and for birth via forceps. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. When performing a mediolateral episiotomy, the cut should be at a 60 degree angle, initiated when the head is distending the perineum. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. Aftercare following assisted vaginal birth. Should prophylactic antibiotics be given? A single prophylactic dose of intravenous amoxicillin and clavulanic acid should be recommended following assisted vaginal birth as it significantly reduces confirmed or suspected maternal infection compared to placebo. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, A. Good standards of hygiene and aseptic techniques are recommended. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Should thromboprophylaxis be given? Reassess women after assisted vaginal birth for venous thromboembolism risk and the need for thromboprophylaxis. Grade of recommendation, D. What analgesia should be given after birth? In the absence of contraindications, women should be offered regular non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs and paracetamol routinely. Grade of recommendation, A. What precautions should be taken for care of the bladder after birth? Women should be educated about the risk of urinary retention so that they are aware of the importance of bladder emptying in the postpartum period. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. The timing and volume of the first void urine should be monitored and documented. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. C. A post-void residual should be measured if urinary retention is suspected. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommend that women who have received regional analgesia for a trial of assisted vaginal birth in theatre have an indwelling catheter in situ after the birth to prevent covert urinary retention. This should be removed according to the local protocol. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Offer women physiotherapy-directed strategies to reduce the risk of urinary incontinence at three months. Grade of recommendation. B. How can psychological morbidity be reduced for the woman? Shared decision making, good communication and positive continuous support during labour and birth have the potential to reduce psychological morbidity following birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Review women before hospital discharge to discuss the indication for assisted vaginal birth, management of any complications and advice for future births. Best practice is where the woman is reviewed by the obstetrician who performed the procedure. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Offer advice and support to women who have had a traumatic birth and wish to talk about their experience. The effect on the birth partner should also be considered. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Do not offer single session, high intensity psychological interventions with an explicit focus on reliving the trauma new 2020 grade of recommendation good practice point offer women with persistent post traumatic stress disorder ptsd symptoms at one month referral to skilled professionals as per the nice guidance on ptsd new 2020 grade of recommendation d what information should women be given for future births inform women that there is a high probability of a spontaneous vaginal birth in subsequent labors following assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, B. Individualized care for women who have sustained a third or fourth degree perineal tear or who have ongoing pelvic floor morbidity. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Governance issues. What type of documentation should be completed for assisted vaginal birth? Documentation for assisted vaginal birth should include detailed information on the assessment, decision-making and conduct of the procedure, a plan for postnatal care, and sufficient information for counselling in relation to subsequent pregnancies. Use of a standardised pro forma is recommended. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Paired cord blood samples should be processed and recorded following all attempts at assisted vaginal birth. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Adverse outcomes including unsuccessful assisted vaginal birth, major obstetric haemorrhage, OAC, shoulder dystocia and significant neonatal complications should trigger an incident report as part of effective risk management processes. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. How should serious adverse events be dealt with? Obstetricians should ensure that the ongoing care of the woman, baby and family is paramount. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Obstetricians have a duty of candour, a professional responsibility to be honest with patients when things go wrong. New 2020. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Obstetricians should contribute to adverse event reporting, confidential inquiries, and take part in regular reviews and audits. They should respond constructively to outcomes of reviews, taking necessary steps to address any problems and carry out further retraining where needed. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Maternity units should provide a safe and supportive framework to support women, their families and staff when serious adverse events occur. New 2020. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Section one. Purpose and scope. The aim of this guideline is to provide evidence-based recommendations on the use of forceps and vacuum extraction for both rotational and non-rotational assisted vaginal births. In order to provide safe care for the full range of clinical scenarios, obstetricians should develop competency in the use of both vacuum and forceps for non-rotational birth and at least one specialist technique for rotational birth. The scope of this guideline includes indications procedures and governance issues relating to assisted vaginal birth. Section two, introduction and background. Assisted vaginal birth by vacuum or forceps is used to assist birth for maternal and fetal indications. In the UK, between 10% and 15% of all women give birth by assisted vaginal birth. See reference one. Almost one in every three nulliparous women gives birth by vacuum or forceps with lower rates in midwifery-led care settings. See references 2 and 3. There has been a rise in the rate of caesarean births in the second stage of labour. This may reflect concerns about assisted vaginal birth morbidity or a loss of clinical skills. See reference 4. The majority of births by vacuum and forceps when performed correctly by appropriately trained personnel result in a safe outcome for the woman and baby. See reference 5. Women who achieve an assisted vaginal birth rather than have a caesarean birth with their first child are far more likely to have an uncomplicated vaginal birth in subsequent pregnancies. See references six to eight. However, obstetricians, midwives and neonatologists should be aware that serious rare complications such as subgaleal hemorrhage, intracranial hemorrhage, skull fracture and spinal cord injury can result in perinatal death and that these complications are more likely to occur with mid-pelvic, rotational and failed attempts at assisted vaginal birth see references 5 and 9. The alternative choice of a caesarean birth late in the second stage of labour can be very challenging and result in significant maternal and perinatal morbidity. As a result, complex decision making is required when choosing between assisted vaginal birth and second stage caesarean birth. Two new developments have occurred since the publication of the 2011 guideline. Number 1. The Montgomery ruling has emphasized the importance of informed consent and number two a number of high-profile manslaughter convictions on the grounds of gross negligence have highlighted the risk of a criminal conviction where serious shortcomings are identified in medical care provided to a patient who dies the royal college of obstetricians and gynaecologists rcog has also received reports of a number of neonatal fatalities associated with traumatic birth-related injuries it is in this context that the safety aspects of this guideline have been reviewed and updated. Section three: Identification and assessment of evidence. This guideline was developed using standard methodology for developing RCOG Green Top Guidelines (GTGs). The Cochrane Library, including the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews, the Database of Abstracts of Reviews of Effects (DARE) and the Cochrane Central Register of Controlled Trials, Central, Embase, Medline and Trip were searched for relevant papers. The search was inclusive of all relevant articles published until May 2019. The databases were searched using the relevant medical subject headings, MeSH terms, including all subheadings and synonyms, and this was combined with a keyword search. Search terms included obstetrical forceps, manual rotation assisted delivery assisted vaginal delivery instrumental delivery and operative birth the search was limited to studies on humans and papers in the english language relevant guidelines were also searched for using the same criteria in the national guideline clearing house and the national institute for health and care excellence or nice evidence search the full search strategy is available to view online as supporting information See appendices S1 and S2. Where possible, recommendations are based on available evidence. Areas lacking evidence are highlighted and annotated as good practice points. Further information about the assessment of evidence and the grading of recommendations may be found in appendix one. Section four, preparation for assisted vaginal birth. Subsection 4.1 can assisted vaginal birth be avoided? The recommendations for avoiding assisted vaginal birth are as follows. Recommendation. Encourage women to have continuous support during labour as this can reduce the need for assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommendation. Inform women that epidural analgesia may increase the need for assisted vaginal birth, although this is less likely with newer anaesthetic techniques. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommendation. Inform women that administering epidural analgesia in the latent phase of labour compared to the active phase of labour does not increase the risk of assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommendation. Encourage women not using epidural analgesia to adopt upright or lateral positions in the second stage of labour as this reduces the need for assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommendation. Encourage women using epidural analgesia to adopt lying down lateral positions rather than upright positions in the second stage of labour as this increases the rate of spontaneous vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. A. Recommendation. Recommend delayed pushing for 1-2 to hours in nulliparous women with epidural analgesia as this may reduce the need for rotational and mid-pelvic assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. B. Recommendation. Do not routinely discontinue epidural analgesia during pushing, as this increases the woman's pain with no evidence of a reduction in the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. A. Recommendation. There is insufficient evidence to recommend any particular regional analgesia technique in terms of reducing the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. A. Recommendation. There is insufficient evidence to recommend routine oxytocin augmentation for women with epidural analgesia as a strategy to reduce the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommendation. There is insufficient evidence to recommend routine prophylactic manual rotation of fetal malposition in the second stage of labour to reduce the risk of assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, B. Evidence to support the recommendations on avoiding assisted vaginal birth. As assisted vaginal birth can be associated with maternal and neonatal morbidity, strategies that reduce the need for intervention should be used. Continuous support for women during childbirth has been shown to increase the likelihood of spontaneous vaginal birth, 26 trials, N equals 15,858, risk ratio 1.08, 95% confidence interval, 1.04 1.04 to 1.12, and reduce the likelihood of assisted vaginal birth. Risk ratio 0.90, 95% confidence interval 0.85 to 0.96, particularly when the carer is not a member of staff. See reference 10. Evidence level 1. Epidural analgesia, compared with non epidural methods, is associated with an increased incidence of assisted vaginal birth. 23 trials, N equals 7,935, odds ratio 1.42, 95% confidence interval 1.28 to 1.57, but provides better pain relief than non-epidural analgesia. Three trials, N equals 1,166, mean difference in maternal perception of pain, minus 3.36, 95% confidence interval, minus 5.41 to minus 1.31 see reference 2. A post-hoc subgroup analysis did not replicate this increase in assisted vaginal births, suggesting that approaches to epidural analgesia in labour, use of lower concentrations of local analgesic or patient-controlled epidural analgesia, PCEA, do not have this outcome. Evidence level 1++. Administering epidural analgesic in the latent phase of labour compared to the active phase does not increase the risk of assisted vaginal birth in nulliparous women six trials n equals 15399 risk ratio 0.96 95% confidence interval 0.89 to 1.05 See reference 11 evidence level 1 plus the use of any upright or lateral position in the second stage of labor compared with supine or lithotomy positions is associated with a reduction in assisted births in women not using epidural analgesia. 21 trials, N equals 6481, risk ratio 0.75, 95% confidence interval 0.66 to minus 0.86. See reference 12. Evidence level, one plus. A randomised trial included 3,236 nulliparous women with a low dose epidural to determine whether being upright in the second stage of labour increases the chance of spontaneous vaginal birth compared with lying down. Significantly fewer spontaneous vaginal births occurred in women in the upright group at 35.2%, 548 out of 1,556, compared with 41.1%, 632 out of 1,537, in the lying down group. Adjusted risk ratio 0.86 95% confidence interval 0.78 to 0.94. This represents a 5.9% absolute increase in the chance of spontaneous vaginal birth in the lying down group, number needed to treat 17, 95% confidence interval 11 to 40, see references 13 and 14, evidence level 1+. A meta-analysis demonstrated that nulliparous women with epidurals are likely to have fewer rotational or mid-pelvic operative interventions when pushing is delayed for 1-2 to hours or until they have a strong urge to push. Risk ratio 0.59, 95% confidence interval 0.36 to 0.98. See reference 15. Although a more recent meta-analysis concluded that When the analysis is restricted to high quality studies, the effect was smaller and did not reach statistical significance. See reference 16. Evidence level 1++. There is insufficient evidence to support the hypothesis that discontinuing epidural analgesia reduces the incidence of assisted vaginal birth. 23% versus 28%. Risk ratio 0.84. 95% confidence interval 0.61 to 1.15. But there is evidence that it increases the woman's pain, 22% versus 6%. Risk ratio 3.68, 95% confidence interval 1.99 to 6.80. See reference 17, evidence level 1++. There is no difference between the rates of assisted vaginal birth for combined spinal epidural and standard epidural techniques, 19 trials, N equals 2,658, odds ratio 0.82, 95% confidence interval 0.67 to 1.00, see reference 18, or patient-controlled epidural analgesia, PCEA, and standard epidural technique. A meta-analysis of nine studies, including 641 women, comparing PCEA to continuous infusion, showed that obstetric outcomes were comparable in all included studies, see reference 19. A randomized control trial, RCT, of 126 women comparing PCEA with continuous epidural infusion reported similar rates of normal birth, see reference 20. Evidence level one plus. A systematic review evaluating the use of oxytocin at 6 cm dilatation onwards did not report a significant reduction in assisted vaginal birth. Two studies, N equals 319, risk ratio 0.88, 95% confidence interval 0.72 to 1.08. The review reported a higher rate of uterine rupture in multiparous women where oxytocin had been commenced. See reference 21. The NICE intrapartum care guideline, reference 22, has concluded that oxytocin should not be routinely started in the second stage of labour and should be used with caution in multiparous women. An experienced obstetrician should make a thorough assessment before considering oxytocin in the second stage of labour for a multiparous woman. Evidence level 1+. Manual rotation has been explored as a strategy to correct fetal malposition and is recommended in the Guideline of the Society of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists of Canada, see reference 23. A retrospective cohort study reported a reduction in caesarean birth associated with the use of manual 9% versus 41%, p is less than 0.001, see reference 24. Given these data, manual rotation of the fetal occiput, for malposition in the second stage of labour warrants further evaluation as a potential strategy to consider before moving to assisted vaginal birth or caesarean birth. A pilot RCT of 30 women, where fetal malposition was corrected by manual rotation early in the second stage of labour, reported a similar rate of assisted vaginal birth. See reference 26. A second RCT, including 65 women, showed a reduction in the duration of the second stage of labour, 65 minutes versus 82 minutes, P equals 0.04. See Reference 27. Neither study reported any adverse effects related to manual rotation. Larger RCTs are needed to establish if prophylactic manual rotation early in the second stage of labour can lead to a reduction in operative births. See Reference 26. Evidence Level 1- minus. Subsection 4.2. How should assisted vaginal birth be defined? Recommendations on how assisted vaginal birth should be defined. Recommendation. Use a standard classification system for assisted vaginal birth to promote safe clinical practice, effective communication between health professionals and audit of outcomes. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence supporting the recommendations on how assisted vaginal birth should be defined. Systematic abdominal and vaginal examinations are required to confirm the classification for assisted vaginal birth. Marked caput may give the impression that the vertex is lower than it is. In the majority of cases, the fetal head will not be palpable abdominally, the exception being a deflexed occipito-posterior position where up to one fifth of the fetal head may be palpable abdominally when the fetal skull is at station zero centimeters or below. A classification system was developed for the previous version of this guideline and was included in the ACOG guidelines, see table one and reference 28. Table 1. Classification for assisted vaginal birth, taken from reference 28. First row. Outlet classification applies when Fetal scalp visible without separating the labia. Fetal skull has reached the perineum. Rotation does not exceed 45 degrees. Second row. Low classification applies when Fetal skull is at station plus two centimeters but not on the perineum. Two subdivisions, one, non-rotational, less than or equal to 45 degrees. Two, rotational, more than 45 degrees. Third row, mid-classification applies when. Fetal head is no more than one-fifth palpable per abdomen. Leading point of the skull is at station zero or plus one centimetre. Two subdivisions, non-rotational, less than or equal to 45 degrees. Rotational, more than 45 degrees. End of table. Subsection 4.3. When should assisted vaginal birth be recommended or contraindicated? Recommendations for when assisted vaginal birth should be recommended or contraindicated. Recommendation. Operators should be aware that no indication is absolute and that clinical judgment is required in all situations. Grade of recommendation, D. Recommendation. Suspected fetal bleeding disorders or a predisposition to fracture are relative contraindications to assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Bloodborne viral infections in the mother are not an absolute contraindication to assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. D. Recommendation. Vacuum extraction is not contraindicated following a fetal blood sampling procedure or application of a fetal scalp electrode. Grade of recommendation, B. Recommendation, operators should be aware that there is a higher risk of subgaleal haemorrhage and scalp trauma with vacuum extraction compared with forceps at preterm gestational ages. Vacuum birth should be avoided below 32 weeks of gestation and should be used with caution between 32 plus zero and 36 plus zero weeks of gestation. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence supporting the recommendations on when assisted vaginal birth should be recommended or contraindicated. Operative intervention may be indicated for conditions of the fetus, the mother, or both. See table two. The decision requires clinical judgment based on the maternal and fetal findings, preferences of the woman, and experience of the obstetrician. See reference 29. A retrospective cohort study of 15,759 nulliparous women demonstrated that maternal morbidity increased significantly after three hours of the second stage and increased further after four hours. There was no evidence of neonatal morbidity increasing in this retrospective study, where fetal surveillance and timely obstetric intervention were used See reference 30. The time constraints listed in Table 2 are therefore provided for guidance. The question of when to intervene should involve consideration of the risks and benefits of continued pushing versus those of an assisted vaginal birth versus those of a second stage caesarean birth. Table 2. Indications for assisted vaginal birth based on reference 22 and 28. Row 1. Fetal indications. Suspected fetal compromise. cardiotocography pathological. Abnormal fetal blood sampling result. Thick meconium. Row two, maternal indications. Nulliparous women. Lack of continuing progress for three hours, total of active and passive second stage labor with regional analgesia or two hours without regional analgesia. Parous women. Lack of continuing progress for two hours, total of active and passive second stage labor with regional analgesia or one hour without regional analgesia. Maternal exhaustion or distress. Medical indications to avoid Valsalva maneuver. Row 3. Combined indications. Fetal and maternal indications for assisted vaginal birth often coexist. End of table. No indication is absolute and each case should be considered individually. The threshold to intervene may be lower where several factors coexist. Medical indications include cardiac disease, hypertensive crisis cerebral vascular disease or malformations, myasthenia gravis, and spinal cord injury. Forceps and vacuum extraction are contraindicated before full dilatation of the cervix. Forceps can be used for the aftercoming head of the breech. The vacuum extractor is contraindicated with a face presentation. Fetal bleeding disorders, for example, alloimmune thrombocytopenia, reference 31, or a predisposition to fracture, for example, osteogenesis imperfecta, are relative contraindications to assisted vaginal birth. However, there may be considerable risks if the fetal head has to be delivered abdominally from deep in the pelvis. Experienced obstetricians should be involved in the decision-making for exceptional indication and ideally, a discussion will have taken place and be documented in advance of labour. A low forceps may be acceptable for assisted vaginal birth with suspected fetal bleeding disorders but vacuum extraction should be avoided. Evidence Level 4 Blood-borne viral infections of the mother are not a contraindication to assisted vaginal birth. A population-based surveillance study of 251 assisted vaginal births in HIV-positive women reported that one infant had confirmed infection at 18 months of age. The maternal characteristics suggested that transmission may not have been intrapartum. See Reference 32. However, It is sensible to avoid difficult assisted vaginal birth, where there is an increased chance of fetal abrasion or scalp trauma, as it is to avoid fetal scalp electrodes or blood sampling during labour. See reference 33. Evidence level 3. Two case studies reported a risk of fetal haemorrhage when a vacuum extractor was applied following fetal blood sampling or application of a spiral scalp electrode. See references 34 and 35. However, no bleeding was reported in two randomised trials comparing forceps and vacuum extraction following fetal blood sampling. See references 36 and 37, evidence level 1 plus and 3. A retrospective population-based study including 5,064 vacuum and 432 forceps births between 32 plus 0 and 36 plus 6 weeks of gestation reported an increased risk of subgaleal haemorrhage, 0.16% versus 0%. Intracranial haemorrhage, 0.12% versus 0% and scalp trauma, 9.8% versus 6.3% associated with vacuum extraction when compared with forceps birth. See reference 38. A Swedish register-based study reported vacuum birth in 5.7% of preterm births with increased incidence of intracranial haemorrhage, 1.5%, adjusted odds ratio one84 confidence interval, 1.09 to 1.32 and extracranial hemorrhage, 0.64%, adjusted odds ratio, 4.48, 95% confidence interval, 2.84 to 7.07, compared with spontaneous vaginal birth. See reference 39. A separate follow-up study reported comparable long-term neurological outcomes for 266 babies born by vacuum extraction. See reference 40. Below 32 plus 0 weeks of gestation, the use of vacuum extraction is not recommended because of the susceptibility of the preterm infant to cephalohematoma, intracranial haemorrhage, subgaleal haemorrhage and neonatal jaundice. Evidence level 2+. Subsection 4.4. What are the essential conditions for safe assisted vaginal birth? Recommendation on what the essential conditions for safe assisted vaginal birth are. Recommendation, safe assisted vaginal birth requires a careful assessment of the clinical situation, clear communication with the woman and healthcare personnel and expertise in the chosen procedure, see Table 3. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence supporting the recommendation on what the essential conditions for safe assisted vaginal birth are. Like any operative intervention, Adequate preparation and planning is important. See reference 29, evidence level four. Table three, safety criteria for assisted vaginal birth. Row one, full abdominal and vaginal examination. Head is less than or equal to one fifth palpable per abdomen. In most cases, not palpable. Cervix is fully dilated and the membranes ruptured. Station at level of ischial spines or below Position of the foetal head has been determined. Caput and moulding is no more than moderate or plus two. Footnote: A. Moderate moulding or plus two moulding is where the parietal bones are overlapped but easily reduced. Severe moulding or plus three is where the parietal bones have overlapped and are irreducible, indicating cephalopelvic disproportion. Pelvis is deemed adequate. Row two. Preparation of mother. Clear explanation given and informed consent taken and documented in women's case notes. Trust established and full cooperation sought and agreed with woman. Appropriate analgesia is in place. For mid-pelvic or rotational birth, this will usually be a regional block. A pudendal block may be acceptable, depending on urgency. And a perineal block may be sufficient for low or outlet birth. Maternal bladder has been emptied. Indwelling catheter has been removed or balloon deflated. Aseptic technique. Row 3 Preparation of Staff Operator has the knowledge, experience and skill necessary. Adequate facilities are available, equipment, bed, lighting and access to an operating theatre. Backup Plan For mid-pelvic births, theatre facilities should be available to allow a caesarean birth to be performed without delay. A senior obstetrician should be present if an inexperienced obstetrician is conducting the birth. Anticipation of complications that may arise e.g. shoulder dystocia, perineal trauma, postpartum haemorrhage. Personnel present who are trained in neonatal resuscitation. End of table. Subsection 4.5. Does ultrasound have a role in assessment prior to assisted vaginal birth? Recommendations for the role of ultrasound in assessment prior to assisted vaginal birth. Recommendation. Clinicians should be aware that ultrasound assessment of the foetal head position prior to assisted vaginal birth is more reliable than clinical examination. Grade of recommendation, A. Recommendation There is insufficient evidence to recommend the routine use of abdominal or perineal ultrasound for assessment of the station, flexion and descent of the foetal head in the second stage of labour. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence supporting the recommendations for the role of ultrasound in assessment prior to assisted vaginal birth. A multicenter RCT compared ultrasound assessment of the fetal head position prior to assisted vaginal birth with standard care to determine whether the use of ultrasound can reduce the incidence of incorrect diagnosis of the fetal head position. The incidence of incorrect diagnosis was significantly lower in the ultrasound group than the standard care group. 4 out of 257. 1.6% versus 52 out of 257, 20.2%. Odds ratio 0.06, 95% confidence interval 0.02 to 0.19, P is less than 0.001. See reference 41. While correct diagnosis of the fetal head position is a prerequisite for safe assisted vaginal birth, the ultrasound assessment in itself does not lead to a reduction in morbidity. A further trial evaluated ultrasound assessment of the fetal head position from eight centimeters cervical dilatation compared with standard vaginal examination and reported a higher incidence of cesarean birth in the ultrasound group, 7.8% versus 4.9%, risk ratio 1.60, 95% confidence interval 1.12 to 2.28, but no significant difference in rates of assisted vaginal birth, 25.8% versus 22.2%, Risk ratio 1.16, 95% confidence interval 0.99 to 1.37. See reference 42, evidence level 1+. A survey of obstetricians in the UK and Ireland reported errors in diagnosing the fetal head position at all levels of experience. See reference 43. Therefore, use of ultrasound to define the fetal head position prior to assisted vaginal birth may be a valuable assessment tool particularly when there is uncertainty about the clinical findings. The operator should be trained in determining the fetal head position using abdominal ultrasound. See reference 44, evidence level 1+. A number of observational studies have reported use of abdominal or perineal ultrasound to assess the fetal station, flexion of the head and direction of head descent in the second stage of labour. See references 45 to 47. Currently, there is insufficient standardisation of these techniques or evidence of benefit to recommend their routine use in clinical practice. Evidence level 2+. Subsection 4.6 What type of consent is required prior to attempting assisted vaginal birth? Recommendations on the type of consent required prior to attempting assisted vaginal birth. Recommendation Women should be informed about assisted vaginal birth in the antenatal period, especially during their first pregnancy. If they indicate specific restrictions or preferences, then this should be explored with an experienced obstetrician, ideally in advance of labour. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. For birth room procedures, verbal consent should be obtained prior to assisted vaginal birth and the discussion should be documented in the notes. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. When mid-pelvic or rotational birth is indicated, the risks and benefits of assisted vaginal birth should be compared with the risks and benefits of second-stage caesarean birth for the given circumstances and skills of the operator. Written consent should be obtained for a trial of assisted vaginal birth in an operating theatre. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Evidence supporting the recommendations on the type of consent required prior to attempting assisted vaginal birth. The 2015 Montgomery determination clarified UK law and set new standards for consent, stating that doctors have a duty to ensure that patients understand the material risks of any medical intervention and the risks of any reasonable alternatives. See references 48 and 49. The role of the obstetrician is to have a dialogue to ensure that the patient understands the risks and benefits and can make an informed choice. By the very nature of assisted vaginal birth, consent will need to be obtained at the end of labour in an emergency setting. The situation is not always conducive to assimilation of detailed information by the woman to make an informed choice. See reference 50. Therefore, women should be informed about assisted vaginal birth as part of routine antenatal education, particularly when having their first baby, where the chance of requiring a forceps or vacuum birth is highest. This information should include strategies known to be effective in reducing the need for assisted vaginal birth and an explanation of the comparative morbidities for assisted vaginal birth and second stage caesarean birth. Evidence Level 4 The woman's birth plan, including any preferences or objections to a particular instrument, should be taken into account and discussed. See Reference 22. Care needs to be taken as women may be exhausted, in pain or affected by drugs. The principles of obtaining valid consent during labour should be followed. See references 51 and 52. Information provided to women in labour should be given between contractions. The ability to present risk-based information in a time-sensitive manner appropriate to the clinical circumstances is essential in order to achieve informed consent. Obstetricians must document their assessment findings, reasons for proceeding to an assisted vaginal birth, and that consent has been given. Evidence Level 4. Complex decision-making is required when choosing between a trial of mid-pelvic rotational-assisted vaginal birth in theatre and second-stage caesarean birth with a deeply engaged fetal head. A multi-centre prospective cohort study in the UK of 393 women transferred to theatre in the second stage of labour reported a higher incidence of maternal haemorrhage and neonatal unit admission following caesarean birth, but a higher incidence of pelvic floor morbidity and neonatal trauma with assisted vaginal birth. The incidence of pelvic floor morbidity was threefold higher at six weeks, but this attenuated at one and three years. Women who gave birth by assisted vaginal birth were far more likely to have a vaginal birth in a subsequent pregnancy, 80% versus 30%, and there were no differences in neurodevelopmental outcomes at five years. See reference 8, 53, and 54, evidence level 2. Plus. Two large retrospective cohort studies compared adverse neonatal outcomes for assisted vaginal birth and second-stage caesarean birth. An Irish study reported similar rates of complications and an Israeli study, reference 55, reported poorer neonatal outcomes for the caesarean group, see references 56 and 57. A secondary analysis of a randomised trial of 919 nulliparous women who gave birth by forceps, vacuum or caesarean birth in the US reported comparable rates of adverse neonatal outcomes for each mode of birth. See reference 58. Two Canadian studies reported conflicting results. See references 59 and 60. A large retrospective study, reference 59, reported higher rates of severe birth trauma with mid-pelvic assisted vaginal birth compared with cesarean birth, highest with sequential instrument use, whereas a prospective cohort study, reference 60, Reported no difference between mid-pelvic and low assisted vaginal birth for either severe maternal or neonatal morbidity. Evidence Level 2+. Obstetricians should refer to the RCOG Consent Advice number 11, Assisted Vaginal Birth, Reference 61, and Clinical Governance Advice number 6A, Obtaining Valid Consent to Participate in Perinatal Research where Consent is Time Critical. See Reference 52. Evidence Level 2+. plus. Section 5. Performing Assisted Vaginal Birth Subsection 5.1. Who should perform Assisted Vaginal Birth? Recommendations on who should perform Assisted Vaginal Birth Recommendation. Assisted Vaginal Birth should be performed by or in the presence of an operator who has the knowledge, skills and experience necessary to assess the woman, Complete the procedure and manage any complications that arise. Grade of recommendation, D. Recommendation, advise obstetric trainees to achieve expertise in spontaneous vaginal birth prior to commencing training in assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, ensure obstetric trainees receive appropriate training in vacuum and forceps birth including theoretical knowledge, simulation training, And clinical training under direct supervision. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Competency should be demonstrated before conducting unsupervised births. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Complex assisted vaginal births should only be performed by experienced operators or under the direct supervision of an experienced operator. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence to support recommendations on who should perform assisted vaginal birth. Training is central to patient safety initiatives. Systems analysis reveals inadequate training as a key contributor to adverse outcomes. See reference 62. Evidence level, two plus. The goal of assisted vaginal birth is to mimic spontaneous vaginal birth, thereby expediting birth with a minimum of maternal or neonatal morbidity. An understanding of the anatomy of the birth canal, the foetal head and the mechanism of normal labour is a prerequisite to becoming a skilled obstetrician. It is strongly recommended that obstetricians achieve experience in spontaneous vaginal birth before commencing training in vacuum or forceps birth. Obstetric trainees should familiarise themselves with the theoretical knowledge required for the technical and non-technical skills of assisted vaginal birth. A wide range of resources are available including guidelines, clinical skills taxonomy lists based on expert obstetric practice, references 29 and 63 to 65, manuals, reference 66, and online training resources, for example, StratOg. This should be supplemented with initial training in a simulation setting. As with any operative procedure, trainees will need to be taught and observed in the clinical setting and have their technique corrected and adjusted by a senior operator until they are deemed ready for independent practice. It should be made clear to the labouring woman that a trainee operator is working under direct supervision of an experienced operator. Evidence Level 4. Assessment of clinical competence is a key element of core training. Competence should be assessed ideally using the Objective Structured Assessment of Technical Skills (OSATS) form designed for assisted vaginal birth by the RCOG. See reference 67. No data exists on the minimum number of supervised procedures necessary before competence is achieved, and this is likely to vary at the individual level. Each unit should ideally have specified trainers responsible for training and assessment. See reference 68. Local and specialist courses in labour ward management can contribute to the development and maintenance of operative birth expertise. Evidence level 4. Once trained, it may be useful for practitioners to audit their performance. One study has demonstrated the potential for the monitoring of obstetricians' performance on vacuum extraction by the use of statistical process control charts. See reference 69. Another study has looked at the position of the chignon as a monitoring tool of CUP application. See reference 70. Further work needs to be done to develop data collection tools with consideration for case complexity and how the results can be fed back to individuals in a constructive manner. Evidence Level 3. The complexity of the birth is related to the type of assisted vaginal birth as classified in Table 1. Mid-pelvic and rotational births, independent of the instrument used, demand a high level of clinical and technical skill and are associated with higher rates of maternal and neonatal morbidity. The operator must receive adequate training and supervision prior to embarking on independent practice. Serious neonatal trauma has been associated with initial unsuccessful attempts at assisted vaginal birth by inexperienced operators. See Appendix 3 and Reference 71. Evidence level 2+. Subsection 5.2. Who should supervise assisted vaginal birth? Recommendation for who should supervise assisted vaginal birth. Recommendation. An experienced operator, competent at mid-pelvic births, should be present from the outset to supervise all attempts at rotational or mid-pelvic assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence to support the recommendation for who should supervise assisted vaginal birth. Where there is any uncertainty about successful assisted vaginal birth, an experienced operator should assess the patient to ensure that the correct decision has been made to attempt assisted vaginal birth and that this is being conducted with the most appropriate instrument in the most appropriate setting. See reference 29. For a trial of assisted vaginal birth in theatre, an experienced operator should attend in person or should be immediately available if the trainee on duty has not been assessed and signed off as competent. See reference 72. Evidence level 4. A prospective cohort study of 597 consecutive assisted vaginal births in a large teaching hospital in Ireland demonstrated no evidence of an association between time of assisted vaginal birth, day versus night, and adverse perinatal outcomes despite off site consultant obstetric support at night. There was a policy of senior obstetric attendance for all attempted assisted vaginal births in an operating theatre. See reference 73. A retrospective study from Israel reported higher rates of neonatal morbidity in association with vacuum births at night, but no information was provided on staffing. See reference 74. Evidence level 2+. There is evidence from one study in the US of an association between increasing trainee forceps use and positive birth outcomes from the designation of a full-time, experienced and proactive faculty member to obstetrics teaching duty see reference 68 A further retrospective cohort study reported an increase in forceps birth and decrease in cesarean births in association with senior obstetric supervision of residents However the change was only apparent during daytime hours when senior obstetricians were present see reference 75 evidence level 2+ Subsection 5.3 Where should assisted vaginal birth take place Recommendations for where Assisted Vaginal births should take place Recommendation Non-rotational, low-pelvic and lift-out Assisted Vaginal Births have a low probability of failure and most procedures can be conducted safely in a birth room Grade of Recommendation C Recommendation Assisted Vaginal Births that have a higher risk of failure should be considered a trial and be attempted in a place where immediate recourse to caesarean birth can be undertaken Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence supporting the recommendations on where assisted vaginal birth should take place. A study in Scotland of 1021 Singleton Term Operative Births for Fetal Distress showed that a decision-to-delivery interval, DDI, of 15 minutes was an achievable target for non-rotational low-pelvic vacuum and forceps births performed in a labour room and there were no assisted vaginal birth failures. See reference 6. Evidence level 2+. Higher rates of failure are associated with maternal BMI greater than 30, short maternal stature, estimated fetal weight of greater than 4kg or a clinically big baby, head circumference above the 95th percentile, occipito-posterior position, mid-pelvic birth or when one-fifth of the head is palpable per abdomen. High maternal BMI greater than 30, short maternal stature, neonatal birth weight greater than 4 kg, and occipito-posterior positions are all indicators of increased failure and require special consideration. See references 6, 53, and 76 to 78. At mid-pelvic stations, particularly station 0 or where rotation is required, the biparietal diameter is above the level of the ischial spines and failure rates are higher. A neonatal head circumference above the 95th percentile has been shown to be more strongly associated with unplanned caesarean or assisted vaginal birth than birth weight, see reference 79. Preliminary data suggests that this might be identifiable using intrapartum sonography and worthy of further research, see reference 80. Evidence level, two plus. Operative births that are anticipated to have a higher rate of failure should be considered a trial and conducted in a place where immediate recourse to caesarean birth can be undertaken, such as an operating theatre. There is little evidence of increased maternal or neonatal morbidity following failed assisted vaginal birth compared to immediate caesarean birth, where immediate recourse to caesarean birth is available. See reference 81. A study of 3,189 women in the US reported that adverse neonatal outcomes following failed assisted vaginal birth were associated with non-reassuring fetal heart rate recordings and when these cases were removed, there was no association between a failed attempt at assisted vaginal birth and adverse neonatal outcomes. See reference 82, evidence level 2+. The decision to transfer a woman to an operating theatre needs to take account of the time associated with transfer which may affect the neonatal outcome. Two retrospective studies compared assisted vaginal birth in the labour room with births in an operating theatre. See references six and 83. A study of 229 operative births for all indications had a DDI of 20 minutes for births in the room and 59 minutes for births in theatre. See reference 83. A study of 1021 Singleton Term Operative Births for Fetal Distress showed that a DDI of 15 minutes is an achievable target in the labour room, whereas 30 minutes is the average DDI in theatre. See reference 6. There were no statistically significant differences in the neonatal outcomes in either study in relation to short or longer DDIs. Therefore, The risks of unsuccessful assisted vaginal birth in the labour room should be balanced with the risks associated with the transfer time for birth in an operating theatre. Evidence level 2+. Subsection 5.4 What instruments should be used for assisted vaginal birth? Recommendations for what instruments should be used for assisted vaginal birth? Recommendation The operator should choose the instrument most appropriate to the clinical circumstances and their level of skill. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Operators should be aware that forceps and vacuum extraction are associated with different benefits and risks. Failure to complete the birth with a single instrument is more likely with vacuum extraction, but maternal perineal trauma is more likely with forceps. Grade of recommendation. A. Recommendation. Operators should be aware that soft-cup vacuum extractors have a higher rate of failure but a lower incidence of neonatal scalp trauma. Grade of Recommendation A. Recommendation. Rotational births should be performed by experienced operators. The choice of instrument depending on the clinical circumstance and expertise of the individual. The options include Keelan's rotational forceps, manual rotation followed by direct traction forceps or vacuum, and rotational vacuum extraction. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence to support the recommendations for the type of instrument to use for assisted vaginal birth. There have been no recent RCTs comparing vacuum and forceps, but a Cochrane systematic review evaluating 10 existing trials involving 2,923 nulliparous and multiparous women reports the relative merits and risks of vacuum and forceps as outlined below in Table 4 see reference 84, evidence level 1 plus plus. Table 4, vacuum extraction as compared with forceps assisted birth. Row 1, more likely to fail at achieving vaginal birth, odds ratio 1.7, 95% confidence interval 1.3 to 2.2. Row 2, more likely to be associated with cephal odds ratio 2.4, 95% confidence interval, 1.7 to 3.4. Row 3. More likely to be associated with retinal haemorrhage. Odds ratio, 2.0. 95% confidence interval, 1.3 to 3.0. Row 4. More likely to be associated with maternal worries about baby. Odds ratio, 2.2. 95% confidence interval, 1.2 to 3.9. Row 5. Less likely to be associated with significant maternal, perineal and vaginal trauma. Odds ratio 0.4, 95% confidence interval, 0.3 to 0.5. Row 6. No more likely to be associated with birth by cesarean birth. Odds ratio 0.6, 95% confidence interval, 0.3 to 1.0. Row 7. No more likely to be associated with low 5-minute APGAR scores. Odds ratio 1.7, 95% confidence interval, 1.0 to 2.8. Row 8. No more likely to be associated with the need for phototherapy. Odds ratio 1.1, 95% confidence interval, 0.7 to 1.8. End of table. Vacuum failure rates of 17% to 36% have been reported in three RCTs comparing different vacuum devices. In one trial, including 194 women, the failure rate with the Kiwi Omnicup was 34%, compared with 21% with the standard cup. Adjusted odds ratio 2.3, 95% confidence interval 1.01 to 5.0. Increasing the sequential use of instruments to 22% and 10% respectively. See reference 85. In the second trial, including 404 women, the failure rate for occipito anterior births was 26% compared with 17% with the conventional cup. Risk ratio 1.55, 95% confidence interval 1.00 to 2.40. See reference 86. Failure of vacuum birth was three to four times more likely a foetal malposition. A trial of 666 women in France comparing the metal vacuum with the disposable i-cup reported higher failure with the disposable cup, 35.6% versus 7.1%. P is less than 0.0001, see reference 87. A further trial in Papua New Guinea reported low rates of vacuum failure of 2 out of 100 for the Kiwi Omnicup and six out of 100 for the Bird Metal Cup. See reference 88. A prospective cohort study of 1,000 vacuum assisted births with the Kiwi Omnicup reported a failure rate of 12.9%. See reference 89. Evidence level, one plus. A Cochrane review of nine RCTs involving 1,368 women showed that soft vacuum extract cups compared with rigid cups are associated with a higher rate of failure. Odds ratio 1.6, 95% confidence interval 1.2 to 2.3, but a lower incidence of neonatal scalp trauma. Odds ratio 0.4, 95% confidence interval 0.3 to 0.6. See reference 90. An updated Cochrane review places a greater emphasis on choosing an appropriate instrument based on differing risks and benefits see reference 91. Evidence level 1++. Birth by vacuum and forceps birth can be associated with significant maternal complications. Two maternal deaths have been described in association with tearing of the cervix at vacuum birth and a further maternal death following uterine rupture in association with forceps birth, see reference 92 and 93. Vacuum and forceps birth are associated with a higher instance of episiotomy, pelvic floor tearing, levator ani avulsion, and OASI than spontaneous vaginal birth. Symptoms associated with pelvic floor trauma include pain, dyspareunia, and urinary and bowel incontinence. See reference 94 to 100. However, A longitudinal prospective cohort study nested with a two-centre RCT of routine versus restrictive episiotomy for assisted vaginal birth reported that pelvic floor morbidities associated with assisted vaginal birth are often as prevalent, if not more prevalent, in the third trimester of pregnancy than postpartum. See reference 101. This suggests that much of the pelvic floor morbidity reported by women in the weeks and months after an assisted vaginal birth may not be causally related to the procedure. A follow-up study of an RCT comparing vacuum and forceps reported no significant differences in bowel or urinary dysfunction at five years. See reference 102. Evidence level, two plus. Birth by vacuum and forceps can be associated with significant perinatal complications. Neonatal, intracranial and subgaleal hemorrhage are life-threatening complications of particular concern see reference 9 and 103 in a review of 583,340 live-born singleton infants born to nulliparous women the rate of subdural or cerebral hemorrhage in vacuum births 1 in 860 did not differ significantly from that associated with forceps use 1 in 664 or cesarean birth during labor 1 in 954 however Risks increase significantly among babies exposed to sequential instrument use with both vacuum and forceps, 1 in 256. See Reference 9. Evidence level 1+. Risk-based information can be summarised as follows. Maternal outcomes. Episiotomy, vacuum, 50 to 60%, and forceps, more than or equal to 90%. Significant vaginal tear, vacuum ten percent and forceps twenty percent. OAC vacuum one to four percent and forceps eight to twelve percent. Postpartum hemorrhage vacuum and forceps ten to forty percent. Urinary or bowel incontinence common at six weeks, improves over time. Perinatal outcomes. Cephal hematoma, predominantly vacuum, 1 to 12%; facial or scalp lacerations, vacuum and forceps, 10%; jaundice or hyperbilirubinemia, vacuum and forceps, 5 to 15%; subgaleal hemorrhage, predominantly vacuum, 3 to 6 in 1,000; intracranial hemorrhage. Vacuum and forceps, 5 to 15 in 10,000. Cervical spine injury, mainly chelan's rotational forceps, rare. Skull fracture, mainly forceps, rare. Facial nerve palsy, mainly forceps, rare. Fetal death, very rare. See reference 61. The ODON device is a new, low-cost instrument designed for ease of use with minimal training in low resource settings. The World Health Organization is implementing a three-phased study protocol, but until the device has been fully evaluated, it cannot be recommended for routine use. See reference 104. Evidence level 2+. To date, there have been no randomized trials comparing alternative techniques for rotational assisted vaginal birth. Rotational birth with the Keelan's forceps carries additional risks such as cervical spine injury and requires specific expertise and training. Alternatives to Keelan's rotational forceps include manual rotation followed by direct traction forceps or vacuum extraction and rotational vacuum birth. A meta-analysis of 23 studies of rotational assisted vaginal births reported that Keelan's forceps are less likely to fail, risk ratio 0.32, 95% confidence interval 0.14 to 0.76, and less likely to cause neonatal trauma, risk ratio 0.62, 95% confidence interval 0.46 to 0.85. When compared with rotational vacuum birth, see reference 105. A prospective cohort study of 381 women undergoing rotational assisted vaginal birth compared Keelan's forceps with manual rotation or direct forceps and rotational vacuum. Maternal and perinatal outcomes are comparable with few serious adverse outcomes, but the use of sequential instruments is less with manual rotation or direct forceps than with rotational vacuum. 0.6% versus 36.9% odds ratio 0.01, 95% confidence interval 0.002 to 0.09, see reference 106. In a prospective cohort study of women with complex births transferred to theatre in the second stage of labour, attempted forceps were more likely to result in completed vaginal birth than attempted vacuum, 63% versus 48%, p is less than 0.01. See reference 50. A number of retrospective cohort studies have evaluated the safety of Keelan's forceps births and reported high success rates 90 to 95% and low morbidity in settings with experienced operators. See reference 107 to 113. Evidence level 2. Enhanced skills in this area may reduce the need for second stage caesarean births, and training should be encouraged for trainees particularly those embarking on the Advanced Labour Ward Advanced Training Skills Modules. The operator should choose the best approach within their expertise. Subsection 5.5. When should vacuum-assisted birth be discontinued and how should a discontinued vacuum procedure be managed? Recommendations for when a vacuum-assisted birth should be discontinued and how a discontinued vacuum procedure should be managed. Recommendation. Discontinue vacuum-assisted birth where there is no evidence of progressive descent with moderate traction during each pull of a correctly applied instrument by an experienced operator. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Complete vacuum-assisted birth in the majority of cases with a maximum of three pulls to bring the fetal head onto the perineum. Three additional gentle pulls can be used to ease the head out of the perineum. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. If there is minimal descent with the first two pulls of a vacuum, the operator should consider whether the application is suboptimal, the fetal position has been incorrectly diagnosed, or there is cephalopelvic disproportion. Less experienced operators should stop and seek a second opinion. Experienced operators should reevaluate the clinical findings and either change approach or discontinue the procedure. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Discontinue vacuum assisted birth if there have been two pop-offs of the instrument. Less experienced operators should seek senior support after one pop-off to ensure the woman has the best chance of a successful assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, the rapid negative pressure application for vacuum assisted birth is recommended as it reduces the duration of the procedure with no difference in maternal and neonatal outcomes. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. The use of sequential instruments is associated with an increased risk of trauma to the infant. However, the operator needs to balance the risks of a caesarean birth following failed vacuum extraction with the risks of forceps birth following failed vacuum extraction. Grade of recommendation, B. Recommendation. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased neonatal morbidity following failed vacuum assisted birth and or sequential use of instruments and should inform the neonatologist when this occurs to ensure appropriate management of the baby. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased risk of OAC following sequential use of instruments. Grade of recommendation. C evidence to support the recommendations on when vacuum-assisted birth should be discontinued and how a discontinued vacuum procedure should be managed. The procedural aspects of assisted vaginal birth are difficult to research and guidance relies primarily on expert opinion and consensus from specialists in the field. VACA has emphasized the importance of clinical training and good technique for vacuum-assisted birth. VACA recommends up to three pulls to bring the vertex onto the pelvic floor and up to three additional pulls to ease the head over the perineum where most resistance is encountered. An episiotomy should be performed if the perineum is very resistant. Vaca warns against considering a pop-off to be a safety feature of the device and highlights the danger of a fetal vascular injury if a pop-off occurs at full traction during descent of the head. See reference 66 and 114. Baal et al., reference 64, describes a detailed skills taxonomy for non-rotational vacuum birth based on qualitative analysis of interviews and video recordings from a group of experts. The advice is that vacuum birth should be completed within three to four contractions. See Appendix three, evidence level four. Accurate instrument placement will influence the probability of success and the risk of maternal and neonatal trauma. An observational study nested within an RCT of 478 nulliparous women reported that suboptimal instrument placement is associated with an increased risk of neonatal trauma. Odds ratio 4.25, 95% confidence interval 1.85 to 9.72. Use of sequential instruments, odds ratio 3.99, 95% confidence interval 1.94 to 8.23, and caesarean birth for failed assisted vaginal birth, odds ratio 3.81, 95% confidence interval 1.10 to 13.2, see reference 115. Evidence level 2+. A multi-centre prospective cohort study of 3594 low or outlet vacuum births reported a 5.8% failure rate. An increasing number of pop-offs is associated with failed assisted vaginal birth. Odds ratio 3.58, 95% confidence interval 2.22 to 5.77 for two pop-offs versus no pop-offs. And duration of application is associated with an increased risk of the composite neonatal adverse outcome. Odds ratio 6.9, 95% confidence interval 3.58 to 11.79 for more than 12 minutes duration versus zero to two minutes See reference one hundred and sixteen. A Cochrane review, including two RCTs of seven hundred and fifty four women, found no significant difference in detachment rate, low apgar score, scalp trauma, cephalhematoma, and number of tractions comparing rapid to stepwise increments in pressure. Zero to two kilograms per two minutes until zero to eight kilograms. There was a significant reduction in the time between applying the cup and birth with a median difference of minus 4.4 minutes, 95% confidence interval, minus 4.8 to minus 4.0 for the large trial of 660 participants, see reference 117, evidence level 1+. Where available, the operator should be aware of the manufacturer's recommendations for the chosen instrument. The use of outlet or low cavity forceps following failed vacuum extraction may be judicious in avoiding a potentially complex caesarean birth. Caesarean birth in the second stage of labour is associated with an increased risk of major obstetric haemorrhage, prolonged hospital stay and admission of the baby to the neonatal unit compared with completed assisted vaginal birth. See reference 53 and 57. Evidence level 2++. This must be balanced with the increased risk of neonatal trauma associated with sequential use of instruments. Risk of intracranial haemorrhage, 1 in 256 births for two instruments versus 1 in 334 for failed forceps proceeding to caesarean birth. See reference 9. A population-based retrospective analysis of 12,014,739 live births in the US reported that sequential use of vacuum and forceps, compared with forceps alone, is associated with an increased risk of need for mechanical ventilation with an adjusted odds ratio of 2.22. 95% confidence interval 1.24 to 3.97. The risk of intracranial haemorrhage, retinal haemorrhage and feeding difficulty is also greater with the sequential use of instruments. See reference 118. Evidence level 2+. A population-based follow-up study of 7,987 neonates who were born by attempted vacuum extraction, of whom 243 had a failed assisted vaginal birth, demonstrated no increased risk of long-term neurological morbidity up to 18 years of age in association with failed vacuum birth. See reference 119. Evidence level 2+. Neonatologists and midwives assessing the neonate following a failed attempt at vacuum birth, particularly where there have been multiple pulls, pop-offs or use of more than one instrument, need to monitor for signs of traumatic injury which may not be immediately apparent at the time of birth. See references 5 and 9. The use of sequential instruments has been associated with an increase in the incidence of third and fourth degree tears in a cohort study of 1,316 nulliparous women in the UK. OAC 17.4% for sequential versus 8.4% for forceps alone. Odds ratio 2.1, 95% confidence interval 1.2 to 33. See reference 120. A study of 760 sequential instrument births in the US reported a similar increase compared with vacuum alone. Odds ratio 2.77, 95% confidence interval 2.36 to 3.26, and compared with forceps alone. Odds ratio 1.39, 95% confidence interval 1.08 to 1.64. See reference 121. Evidence level 2+. The sequential use of instruments should not be attempted by an inexperienced operator without direct supervision and should be avoided whenever possible. Subsection 5.6. When should attempted forceps birth be discontinued and how should a discontinued forceps procedure be managed? Recommendations on when attempted forceps birth should be discontinued and how a discontinued forceps procedure should be managed. Recommendation Discontinue attempted forceps birth where the forceps cannot be applied easily, the handles do not approximate easily, or if there is a lack of progressive descent with moderate traction. Grade of recommendation, B. Recommendation. Discontinue rotational forceps birth if rotation is not easily achieved with gentle pressure. Grade of recommendation, B. Recommendation. Discontinue attempted forceps birth if birth is not imminent following three pulls of a correctly applied instrument by an experienced operator. Grade of recommendation, B. Recommendation. If there is minimal descent with the first one or two pulls of the forceps, the operator should consider whether the application is suboptimal, the position has been incorrectly diagnosed, or there is cephalopelvic disproportion. Less experienced operators should stop and seek a second opinion. Experienced operators should reevaluate the clinical findings and either change approach or discontinue the procedure. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Obstetricians should be aware of the potential neonatal morbidity following a failed attempt at forceps birth and should inform the neonatologist when this occurs to ensure appropriate care of the baby. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased risk of fetal head impaction at cesarean birth following a failed attempt at forceps birth and should be prepared to disimpact the fetal head using recognised manoeuvres. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support recommendations for when attempted forceps birth should be discontinued and how a discontinued forceps procedure should be managed. A prospective cohort study of 393 women experiencing rotational, or mid-pelvic operative birth in the second stage of labour reported an increased risk of neonatal trauma and admission to the special care baby unit following excessive pulls, more than three pulls. The risk was further increased where birth was completed by caesarean birth following a failed attempt at assisted vaginal birth. Reference 71. At five years of follow-up, there was no difference in the neurodevelopmental outcomes of babies born by assisted vaginal birth when compared to babies born by caesarean. The two cases of cerebral palsy did not have a causal relationship to the mode of birth and were born by caesarean. See reference 8. Evidence level 2 plus. A multi centre prospective cohort study of 1,731 low or outlet forceps births reported a 4.9% failure rate. An increasing number of pulls was associated with failed assisted vaginal birth. Odds ratio 3.24, 95% confidence interval. 1.59 to 6.61 for three or more pulls versus one. And duration of application was associated with an increased risk of the composite neonatal adverse outcome. Odds ratio 5.37, 95% confidence interval 1.49 to 19.32 for greater than 12 minutes duration versus zero to two minutes. See reference 116, evidence level two plus. An observational study nested within an RCT of 478 nulliparous women reported that suboptimal instrument placement was more likely with forceps than vacuum and was associated with an increased risk of neonatal trauma. Odds ratio 4.25, 95% confidence interval 1.85 to 9.72 and caesarean birth for failed assisted vaginal birth. Odds ratio 3.81, 95% confidence interval 1.10 to 13.2. See reference 115. Evidence level 2+. The bulk of malpractice litigation results from failure to discontinue the procedure at the appropriate time, particularly the failure to issue prolonged, repeated or excessive traction efforts in the presence of poor progress. Adverse events, including unsuccessful forceps or vacuum, birth trauma, term baby admitted to the neonatal unit, low APGAR scores, less than 7 at 5 minutes, and cord arterial pH less than 7.10 should trigger an instant report and review if necessary as part of effective risk management processes, see Reference 122, Evidence Level 4. Failed forceps birth is associated with excessive pulls, more than 3, and prolonged application of the instrument, greater than 12 minutes, which in turn is associated with an increased risk of serious neonatal traumatic injury, see Reference 71 and 116. Neonatologists and midwives assessing the neonate following a failed attempt at forceps birth particularly where there have been multiple pulls or use of more than one instrument, need to monitor for signs of traumatic injury which may not be immediately apparent at the time of birth. Evidence level 2+. It is good practice to disimpact the fetal head in advance of caesarean birth where attempted forceps has been discontinued. Obstetricians should be aware of the increased risk of fetal head impaction and consider manoeuvres to deliver the head safely. See reference 123. Further research is required to evaluate the effectiveness of alternative manoeuvres and medical devices for relieving fetal head impaction at caesarean birth. Subsection 5.7 What is the role of episiotomy in preventing maternal pelvic floor morbidity at assisted vaginal birth? Recommendations for the role of episiotomy in preventing maternal pelvic floor morbidity at assisted vaginal birth. Recommendation Mediolateral episiotomy should be discussed with the woman as part of the preparation for assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. In the absence of robust evidence to support either routine or restrictive use of episiotomy at assisted vaginal birth, the decision should be tailored to the circumstances at the time and the preferences of the woman. The evidence to support use of mediolateral episiotomy at assisted vaginal birth in terms of preventing OAC is stronger for nulliparous women and for birth via forceps. Grade of recommendation, B. Recommendation. When performing a mediolateral episiotomy, the cut should be at a 60 degree angle, initiated when the head is distending the perineum. Grade of recommendation, B. Evidence to support the recommendations for the role of episiotomy in preventing maternal pelvic floor morbidity at assisted vaginal birth. A two-centre RCT, including 200 nulliparous women, failed to provide conclusive evidence that a policy of routine episiotomy is better or worse than a restrictive policy at assisted vaginal birth. The incidence of OAC was similar in both groups, 8.1% in 99 women randomised to routine episiotomy and 10.9% in 101 women randomised to restrictive use. Odds ratio 0.72, 95% confidence interval 0.28, 1.87 to 1.87 see reference 124 evidence level 1 plus a large observational study from the netherlands of 28732 assisted vaginal births concluded that mediolateral episiotomy is protective against OAC in both vacuum extraction 9.4% versus 1.4% odds ratio 0.11 95% confidence interval 0.09 to 0.13 and forceps birth, 22.7% versus 2.6%. Odds ratio 0.28, 95% confidence interval, 0.13 to 0.63. See reference 125. A further retrospective cohort study from the Netherlands of 2,861 assisted vaginal births reported a 5.7% frequency of OAC and six-fold reduction in OAC with the use of mediolateral episiotomy see reference 126. In a UK prospective study of 1,360 assisted vaginal births, episiotomy did not appear to protect against OAC in vacuum extraction, 4.3% with episiotomy versus 5.5% without episiotomy, or forceps birth, 11.7% versus 10.6%. However, episiotomy was associated with a greater incidence of postpartum haemorrhage, 28.4% 28.4% versus 18.4%, odds ratio 1.72, 95% confidence interval 1.21 to 2.45. See reference 94. A large UK based retrospective cohort study calculated the risk of OACI based on 1.2 million primiparas vaginal deliveries as follows 1.89 fold greater, 95% confidence interval 1.74 to 2.05, in Vontus without episiotomy and 6.53 times greater in forceps deliveries without episiotomy, 95% confidence interval 5.57 to 7.64. See references 127 and 128. Evidence level one plus to two minus. There have been two systematic reviews of the evidence for episiotomy use at vacuum birth, each including 15 observational studies see reference 129 and 130 the danish group reference 129 interpreted the data as showing that mediolateral or lateral episiotomy is protective against oac in nulliparous women and should be considered while the israeli group reference 130 reported that episiotomy in vacuum birth does not appear to be of benefit and might even increase maternal morbidity in parous women a non-significant relationship was shown between mediolateral episiotomy and OAC in nulliparous women, odds ratio 0.68, 95% confidence interval 0.43 to 1.07, six studies. Whereas an increased risk was demonstrated in parous women, odds ratio 1.27, 95% confidence interval 1.05 to 1.53, two reports. Evidence level 1+. Section 6. Aftercare following assisted vaginal birth. Subsection 6.1. Should prophylactic antibiotics be given? Recommendations on giving prophylactic antibiotics. Recommendation. A single prophylactic dose of intravenous amoxicillin and clavulanic acid should be recommended following assisted vaginal birth as it significantly reduces confirmed or suspected maternal infection compared to placebo. Grade of recommendation. A. Recommendation. Good standards of hygiene and aseptic techniques are recommended. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations on giving prophylactic antibiotics. A Cochrane review included only one randomised trial of 393 participants. There were 7 women with endometritis in the group given no antibiotic and none in the prophylactic antibiotic group. Risk ratio 0.7, 95% confidence interval 0.00 to 1.21. See reference 131. There is a similar lack of evidence for the role of antibiotics at normal birth or after repair of a episiotomy. See reference 123. The use of antibiotics in labour and after birth is common, and yet good antibiotic stewardship is needed to prevent antimicrobial resistance. High quality evidence is required to inform clinical practice. Evidence level 1 The ANODE trial was a multi centre, randomised, blinded, controlled trial done at 27 hospital obstetric units in the UK. See reference 133. Women who had undergone birth by forceps or vacuum at 36 weeks or greater gestation, with no indication for ongoing prescription of antibiotics in the postpartum period and no contraindications to prophylactic amoxicillin and clavulanic acid, were randomly assigned one to one to receive a single intravenous dose of prophylactic amoxicillin and clavulanic acid or placebo. The proportion of women who had overall primary outcome events was higher than anticipated. 486, 15% of 3225. A significantly smaller number of women allocated to the amoxicillin and clavulanic acid group had a confirmed or suspected infection. 180, 11% of 1619. Then women who were allocated to the placebo group, 306, 19% of 1,606, risk ratio 0.58, 95% confidence interval, 0.49 to 0.69, P is less than 0.0001. The ANODE trial showed that women who received a single prophylactic dose of intravenous amoxicillin and clavulanic acid A median of three hours after assisted vaginal birth were significantly less likely to have a confirmed or suspected maternal infection than women who received placebo. They were also significantly less likely to experience a range of other secondary outcomes, including perineal wound infection, perineal pain, and perineal wound breakdown. They were less likely to report any primary care physician or home visits or any hospital outpatient visits in relation to concerns about their perineum compared with the placebo group. The ANODE trial therefore provides evidence of benefit of prophylactic antibiotic administration after assisted vaginal birth, with few observed adverse events in relation to the intervention. Obstetricians should practice good aseptic techniques and use personal protection equipment, for example gloves and aprons or surgical gowns, to reduce infection and prevent contamination. See Reference 22, Evidence Level 4. Subsection 6.2. Should thromboprophylaxis be given? Recommendations on whether thromboprophylaxis should be given. Recommendation. Reassess women after assisted vaginal birth for venous thromboembolism risk and the need for thromboprophylaxis. Grade of recommendation. D. Evidence to support the recommendations on whether thromboprophylaxis should be given. There are a lack of data to evaluate the independent risk of assisted vaginal birth for thromboembolism. However, many identified risk factors for thromboembolism, such as prolonged labour and immobility, are also associated with operative births. Therefore, women should be reassessed after assisted vaginal birth for risk factors for venous thromboembolism and prescribed thromboprophylaxis accordingly. The obstetrician should refer to the RCOG Green Top Guideline number 37A Reducing the risk of venous thromboembolism during the pregnancy and the puerperium. See reference 134. Evidence level 4. Subsection 6.3. What analgesia should be given after birth? Recommendation for what analgesia to give after birth. Recommendation. In the absence of contraindications, women should be offered regular non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs NSAIDs and paracetamol routinely. Grade of recommendation, A. Evidence to support the recommendation for what analgesia to give after birth. NSAIDs are effective for pain relief for perineal, vaginal and pelvic discomfort. Oral NSAIDs such as diclofenac or ibuprofen have been shown to be beneficial for perineal pain and provide better analgesia than paracetamol or placebo. Paracetamol has a good safety record in the postnatal period and is used regularly in postoperative pain. See reference 135. Evidence level 1++. Subsection 6.4. What precautions should be taken for care of the bladder after birth? Recommendations for what precautions should be taken for care of the bladder after birth? Recommendation. Women should be educated about the risk of urinary retention so that they are aware of the importance of bladder emptying in the postpartum period. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation The timing and volume of the first void urine should be monitored and documented. Grade of recommendation, C. Recommendation A post-void residual should be measured if urinary retention is suspected. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation Recommend that women who have received regional analgesia for a trial of assisted vaginal birth in theatre have an indwelling catheter in situ after the birth to prevent covert urinary retention. This should be removed according to the local protocol. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Offer women physiotherapy-directed strategies to reduce the risk of urinary incontinence at three months. Grade of recommendation. B. Recommendation, women who have had regional analgesia for a trial of assisted vaginal birth should be offered an indwelling catheter for six to 12 hours after birth in keeping with the local protocol to prevent asymptomatic bladder overfilling followed by fluid balance charts to ensure good voiding volumes. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support recommendations for what precautions should be taken for care of the bladder after birth. Assisted vaginal birth, prolonged labour and epidural analgesia are associated with an increased risk of postpartum urinary retention, PUR, which can be associated with long-term bladder dysfunction. See reference 136. There is considerable variation in practice in postpartum bladder management in the UK. See reference 137. However, at a minimum, the first void should be measured and if retention is a possibility, A post-void residual should be measured to ensure that retention does not go unrecognised. See reference 138. Evidence level 2+. The use of bladder scanning as an alternative to catheterization to measure residual urine can be used if appropriate training has been undertaken, particularly to avoid confusion between the postpartum uterus and the bladder. See reference 139. Evidence level 2++. There is one small before and after trial that suggests that systematic intermittent bladder catheterisation at two hours post-birth reduces the risk of covert PUR after assisted vaginal birth from 15 out of 23, 65% in the observational group, to 2 out of 11, 18%. P equals 0.02. This trial is small and subject to bias in the before and after design. See reference 140. Evidence level. 2-. Further, good quality studies are required to evaluate strategies for the prevention and management of PUR. Urinary incontinence is common in late pregnancy and after birth. A Cochrane review of pelvic floor muscle exercise in antenatal and postnatal women concluded that there is uncertainty about the benefit of pelvic floor muscle exercise to treat urinary incontinence in postnatal women. See reference 141. However, One trial that involved women with assisted vaginal birth demonstrated that a physiotherapist delivering intervention designed to prevent urinary incontinence reduced incontinence at three months from 38.4% to 31.0% in a group of women that had had assisted vaginal birth and or a baby over four kg. See reference 142. The effect was reduced at 12 months. Evidence level 1+. Subsection 6.5 How can psychological morbidity be reduced for the woman? Recommendations for how psychological morbidity can be reduced for the woman. Recommendation Shared decision-making, good communication and positive continuous support during labour and birth have the potential to reduce psychological morbidity following birth. Grade of recommendation Good practice point. Recommendation Review women before hospital discharge to discuss the indication for assisted vaginal birth, management of any complications, and advice for future births. Best practice is where the woman is reviewed by the obstetrician who performed the procedure. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Offer advice and support to women who have had a traumatic birth and wish to talk about their experience. The effect on the birth partner should also be considered. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Do not offer single session, high intensity psychological interventions with an explicit focus on reliving the trauma. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Offer women with persistent post-traumatic stress disorder (PTSD) symptoms at one month, referral to skilled professionals as per the NICE guidance on PTSD. Grade of recommendation. D. Evidence to support the recommendations for how psychological morbidity can be reduced for the woman. Factors that influence the ongoing psychological well-being of a woman after assisted vaginal birth are complex. A large prospective study from the Norwegian Mother and Child Cohort Study reported that mode of birth was not significantly associated with a change in emotional distress as measured by the 8-item dichotomized version of the symptoms checklist from 30 weeks of gestation to six months postpartum or with the presence of emotional distress at six months. The biggest predictor of emotional distress postnatally was antenatal emotional distress. See reference 143. Evidence level 2 plus. However, in the UK National Maternity Survey in 2010, the risk of reduced postnatal health well being was higher in women who gave birth with the aid of forceps compared with an unassisted birth with a higher rate of women reporting two or more PTSD-type symptoms at three months, 25 out of 359, 7%, versus 93 out of 3,275, 3%. Odds ratio 4.89, 95% confidence interval 2.68 to 8.9. The survey also concluded that 42% of women that had an assisted vaginal birth did not talk to a healthcare professional about their birth, and 43% of these women would have liked to. See reference 144. Evidence level 2+. Follow-up of a cohort at three years following operative birth reported that 50% of women did not plan on having a further child, and almost one-half of these women reported fear of childbirth as the main reason for avoiding pregnancy. See reference 8. Evidence level 2+. The association between assisted vaginal birth and PTSD is complex and studies have had conflicting results. A systematic review concluded that assisted vaginal birth is one of a number of risk factors for PTSD and proposes a model for consideration that includes predisposing risk factors, triggering factors and coping factors. See reference 145. Evidence level 2+. A further cohort study suggested that the key associations with a traumatic birth are lack of control and lack of choice for pain relief. This highlights the importance of shared decision making, consideration for pain relief and the value of non-technical skills in conducting an operative birth and in reducing the impact of the birth on the psychological well-being of the woman and her family. See reference 146. Evidence level 2+. Several studies have looked at debriefing approaches to reducing psychological morbidity following childbirth. A Cochrane review concluded that there is little or no evidence to support either a positive or adverse effect of psychological debriefing for the prevention of psychological trauma in women following childbirth. See reference 147. Nonetheless, women report the need for a review following birth to discuss the management of any complications and the implications for future births see reference 144 evidence level 2 minus the optimal timing setting and healthcare professional for post-birth review require further evaluation the obstetrician should refer to the nice guideline on postnatal mental health and ptsd and refer women with continuing severe symptoms to relevant expertise such as psychology as recommended in the guideline see reference 138 evidence level 4 Subsection 6.6. What information should women be given for future births? Recommendations for what information women should be given for future births. Recommendation. Inform women that there is a high probability of a spontaneous vaginal birth in subsequent labours following assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. B. Recommendation. Individualised care for women who have sustained a third or fourth degree perineal tear or who have ongoing pelvic floor morbidity. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for what information women should be given for future births. Women who have experienced an uncomplicated assisted vaginal birth should be encouraged to aim for a spontaneous vaginal birth in a subsequent pregnancy as there is a high chance of success. A population-based register study from Sweden found that 90% of women who had a vontus assisted birth with their first baby had a spontaneous or unassisted birth with their second baby. See reference 7. Although the risk of a further operative birth is higher than for women who had an unassisted birth in their first pregnancy, the absolute risk is low. The likelihood of achieving a spontaneous vaginal birth in a subsequent pregnancy is approximately 80% for women who have required more complex assisted vaginal births in theatre. See reference 8. This discussion should take place at the earliest opportunity as there is evidence to suggest that women decide soon after birth. See reference 148. Evidence level 2+. The future plan of care should be reviewed carefully with women who have experienced a third or fourth degree tear, particularly if they are symptomatic, as they may be at increased risk of further anorectal damage with a subsequent birth. Women should be counselled regarding the risk of recurrence and implications for future childbirth as per the RCOG guideline. See Reference 128. Evidence Level 2+. Section 7. Governance Issues. Subsection 7.1. What type of documentation should be completed for assisted vaginal birth? Recommendations for the type of documentation to be completed for assisted vaginal birth. Recommendation. Documentation for assisted vaginal birth should include detailed information on the assessment, decision-making and conduct of the procedure, a plan for postnatal care and sufficient information for counselling in relation to subsequent pregnancies. Use of a standardised pro forma is recommended. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Paired cord blood samples should be processed and recorded following all attempts at assisted vaginal birth. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Adverse outcomes including failed assisted vaginal birth, major obstetric haemorrhage, OAC, shoulder dystocia and significant neonatal complications should trigger an incident report as part of effective risk management processes. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point evidence to support the recommendations for the type of documentation to be completed for assisted vaginal birth. Like any clinical documentation, the documentation of the decision making and the conduct of the operative birth needs to include the key information to inform ongoing medical care of the woman and baby in the postnatal period, to enable debriefing, inform local audits and to inform decision making in subsequent births. An accurate record of the procedure must be completed including critical time points in the decision making conduct and completion of the procedure. This is aided by standardised documentation, an example of which can be found in Appendix 2. Subsection 7.2 How should serious adverse events be dealt with? Recommendations for how serious adverse events should be dealt with. Recommendation Obstetricians should ensure that the ongoing care of the woman, baby and family are paramount. Grade of recommendation Good practice point. Recommendation. Obstetricians have a duty of candour, a professional responsibility to be honest with patients when things go wrong. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Obstetricians should contribute to adverse event reporting, confidential enquiries, and take part in regular reviews and audits. They should respond constructively to outcomes of reviews, taking necessary steps to address any problems and carry out further retraining where needed. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, maternity units should provide a safe and supportive framework to support women, their families and staff when serious adverse events occur. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for how serious adverse events should be dealt with. Like all health professionals, obstetricians have a duty of candour, a professional responsibility to be open and honest with patients when things go wrong. This is described in the Joint Statement from eight regulators in the UK. See reference 149. Maternity units should provide a safe and supportive environment in which learning can take place from serious adverse events. Highly complex human factors are involved in assisted vaginal birth and attempted assisted vaginal birth. An understanding of the interplay of these in adverse events is important. Not all serious adverse events are caused by failure in care. Section 8. Recommendations for future research. What is the role of oxytocin in the second stage of labour in women using epidural analgesia? Should manual rotation be used for correction of fetal malposition early in the second stage of labour? What is the role of ultrasound to assess fetal head position prior to assisted vaginal birth? What is the best choice of instrument for rotational assisted vaginal birth? What manoeuvres can alleviate fetal head impaction at second stage caesarean birth? Section 9. Auditable Topics Maternity unit. Proportion of assisted vaginal births, the UK average, is between 10% and 15% maternity unit and individual operator, proportion of unsuccessful assisted vaginal births, proportion of sequential instrument use. Case notes review to audit appropriate care of women with failed assisted vaginal birth or sequential instrument use for when to use sequential instrument and when to discontinue, use of ultrasound scan to confirm fetal position, proportion of third and fourth degree perineal tears, one to 4% for vacuum, and eight to 12% for forceps. Proportion of neonatal morbidity, composite trauma, including subglial hemorrhage, brachial plexus injury, fracture, facial nerve palsy or cerebral hemorrhage, low APGAR score less than seven at five minutes, and cord arterial pH less than 7.10. Refer RCOG consent. Proportion of documentation of written or verbal consent for assisted vaginal birth, Target 100%. Proportion of written consent documented for trial of assisted vaginal birth in operating theatre. Target 100%. Completeness of documentation. Target 100%. Proportion of women after assisted vaginal birth receiving a postnatal review explaining the birth and discussing birth options in future pregnancy. Target 100%. Section 10. Useful links and support groups. Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. Assisted Vaginal Birth. Information for you. London, RCOG 2012. NHS Choices. Forceps or vacuum delivery. https colon forward, slash, forward slash, www.nhs.uk forward slash, conditions forward slash, pregnancy hyphen and hyphen baby forward slash von fontuse hyphen forceps hyphen delivery forward slash tommy's assisted birth https colon forward slash forward slash www.tommys.org forward slash pregnancy hyphen information forward slash labor hyphen birth forward slash assisted hyphen birth Disclosures of Interest DJM reports personal fees from medico-legal cases of adverse perinatal outcome involving OVB. RB has declared no conflicts of interest. BKS has declared no conflicts of interest. Full disclosures of interest for the developers, guidelines committee, and peer reviewers are available to view online as supporting information. Funding all those involved in the development of the Green Top Guidelines, including the Guidelines Committee, Guidelines Committee co chairs, guideline developers, peer reviewers, and other reviewers, are unpaid volunteers and receive no direct funding for their involvement in producing the guideline. The only exception to this is the Guidelines Committee members who receive reimbursement for the expenses for attending the Guidelines Committee meetings for standard RCOG activities. This is standard as per RCOG rules. Appendix 1 – Explanation of Guidelines and Evidence Levels Appendix 1 outlines the classifications of the evidence levels of the text supporting the recommendations in this guideline, and the grades of recommendations assigned to each recommendation based on the available evidence. The possible classifications of evidence level are 1++, 1+, 1-, 2++, 2+, 2-, 3-, and four. The grades of recommendation used are A, B, C, D and good practice points. These are best practice based on the clinical experience of the guideline development group. For more details on how the classifications of the evidence levels and grades of recommendations are determined, please visit www.rcog.org.uk forward slash GTG26. Appendix 2, Assisted Vaginal Birth Record, revised. Appendix 2 is a pro forma that can be used in clinical practice for the operative vaginal birth record. It can be used to record the details of an assisted vaginal birth. Appendix 3, Decision Making for Assisted Vaginal Birth. Appendix 3 is a flowchart to aid decision making for assisted vaginal birth. It outlines each stage of the procedure Detailing considerations that should be taken into account to ensure each step is performed safely. References The full list of references can be accessed via the RCOG website at www.rcog.org.uk forward slash GTG26.